talk about. There was nobody that got hurt, just some bumps and bruises that wasn't able to come back in and play. Uh, and also uh, just want to congratulate Sean and the Rams. That's a very good football team. Played very well today. They whipped their butts. Uh, that's internal. It's a disciplinary thing. Keep in house. Carlos Amenehu, the late round, former late round pass rusher from Houston, Texas, made a big impact last year. Was a healthy scratch the last two games. He is headed to the San Francisco 49ers for a late round pick. And welcome to episode 104 of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Another week gone, another convincing defeat in NRG Stadium on Sunday. That to talk about, plus the looming trade deadline, and there's been some movement just before we hit the record button uh, today. But uh, we've got nine weeks left in the bye, trying to help yourself and trying to help ourselves at the same time. Joined this week is uh, John from the Locked On Texans podcast. John, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Super excited to talk Texans with you today. Um, a lot of movement going around this team. And after the trade deadline, they got a lot of season left, a lot of games left in the season to play. So I'm excited for today's discussion. Yeah, man. Well, what did you uh, what did you make of Sunday then? It was was that the for three quarters anyway, was that the worst performance of the year? Um, I, I'm I'm going to say I'll still give it to Buffalo because you know they didn't score many points at all against Buffalo. I think only three points against Buffalo was a zero. So they didn't. I don't know. They didn't score against Buffalo, right? At yeah. least they, at the end had some fight left in them against the second and third string players, but they did put up 22 points unanswered. So that's a good. I guess you could say building block. At least they put points up, period. Against Buffalo, it was just uh, Buffalo all game. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I think it's it's, it's so multifaceted, all our troubles right now. Um, what, just generally, what do you think of the the mood in the city? Because if you look at the at the press box, if you see that picture of Vanessa Richardson sent out, uh, she's the only person sitting along that front row. And if you've ever been in the press box, which I have. It's pretty big. It's a pretty big uh, unit. So, you know, it's a lot of seats not to be filled, and then there's a lot of seats in the stands that are completely empty. Um, and right, you know, and you think, you know, everybody says it takes a while to fill up, and it does. Uh, but that's the worst we've seen it uh, without a, you know a big travelling uh, road road support coming into town, or you know, or or transplants that already living in town uh, for the Rams. It was all. It was very, very empty, I think. And uh, what do you think about that, plus the sort of feeling that you, you get around town right now of when these results are starting to pile up a little? Yeah, people are tired of watching them. You know, uh, every day on um, on Texas Twitter, I think they're so active right now because you have fans that still want to support, and then there's fans that are just completely done and wash their hands with them. Wash their hands with them, excuse me. So they're pissed off right now. Critical of the front office, critical of the coaching staff, critical of the players on the field, all phases out this year. Really, to be fair, it's not this year alone. This year has just been the, the, the tip of the iceberg. But it's been a buildup, a constant buildup since Houston was up 24-0 over the Kansas City Chiefs. Since then, the moves that were made, the contracts, the free agent signings, uh, Bill O'Brien and, and, and Jack Easterby and even up to Deshaun Watson saying, I don't want to play for you guys anymore. 
that was the build up to what we have right now. Yeah, I always think as well. Like I think this was maybe the only way that would ever show. Like it would ever. It was the only sort of material way that fan sentiment could be shown. Because obviously people are going to criticize them. People are going to send them emails. They're going to call them out on on television and on sports radio. Uh, but how is it, you know, and look, they, they still make money and that, that's the thing, you've got to remember, they still make a profit um, regardless if they didn't sell a single seat. But at the same time, it's uh, it, it's, it's it's sad to see because, you know, there sh it should be a lot different. Um, but, you know, we don't want to go over too much old ground, but I think just the the way in which the last couple of games is a complete lack of talent on both sides of the ball. And then when you come up against a good team like that, um, you know, then then they, they, they show you for what you are, I think. And I suppose, you know, when you look back on it and look, they've added more talent this week, but I think when you, when you boil it down, there's no replacement for talent uh, in this league. And we've just not simply just not got enough to be competitive on a Sunday right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think Houston does have an issue with, They've had a tough schedule. You, you you opened up against Jacksonville, we get it. But then Cleveland, playoff team for last year. Uh, the Carolina Panthers, defensively, it's a tough team to play for anybody in the league. And then you have to pay, uh, play the, the Bills. That was a great team last year, and Josh Allen had an MVP type of year. Uh, then you have to play the Rams and the Cardinals, who was a good team last year, tailed off at the end, but they were a good team last year. The Rams and how they're playing so far this year. The Patriots was you know, still, a, I think, a good test for the team. They've had a hard schedule, and talent has been an issue for Houston. It just seems like since the, uh, excuse me, the injury of Tyrod Taylor, since Davis Mills has stepped in, the decline always happens in the second half of the games for them because the talent is, I think, getting wore out. You know, they may be put in positions – that they are playing full-time in, that they may not be playing full-time in, that you have a, a defense that I think isn't doing the talent that you have on the roster too much justice. Going to a 4-3, this, this zone two defense quarterbacks are figuring it out, and so it's easy for quarterbacks to kind of pick their part against this defense. The offense can't run the ball. The talent isn't what everybody else in the league has. Yeah, and how much uh, how much stock do you take in the fourth quarter? Kind of, uh, it's not a comeback, and by any stretch of the imagination, you've got a lot of you know you've got a lot of substitutes out. You know, the fact you're up thirty eight to zero allows you to put your quarterback on the bench. It's like the perfect um, road trip for for LA. You know, you go and you you get you get your business handled early, um, and then just slowly take guys out of the lineup. And I suppose it's kind of a bit like preseason almost that fourth quarter, isn't it? Because it, and and I think. For for me that like Mills is that was probably one of Mills's better performances and it won't seem like that in the stat box and it won't seem like that um, you know when you you know when all said and done but look watching the game back in the all twenty two this morning I actually thought that was actually probably one of Mills's better performance now there's lots of stuff going around them um, but but what did you make of the the sort of fourth quarter comeback it, does it does it give you a positive to take to Miami or is it or is that too simplistic considering they took all their stars out. I think it's a uh, it's a good question. If if the next team wasn't Miami, then I don't think it'd have been worth too much. Yeah, but Miami is a one in seventeen quarterback issues, team issues, head coach issues, top five pick in the NFL draft. Houston has the same problems, and um, 
I say that because that could position Houston to kind of be a better team against this team. Same position, go out there and beat them. They may they may give you something moving forward, but if it was anybody else, no, that fourth quarter wouldn't have done anything for me uh, because where was this creativity, the playmaking early in the game where you guys have struggled offensively? You know, so I look at it like more so is it because we're going to play Miami next or is it something to hang our hat on? And I only think it's good because we're playing Miami. Yeah, I think the, the biggest positive I took out of watching the film this morning was I, I think Mills, and look, there's, there's still plays he's got to come back, that interception where he's trying to roll out and, and uh, throw Stamandola and he hits the linebacker from South Carolina, Ernest Jones, right in the numbers. Um, and it was so obvious. And actually, when you saw it from the, the Enzo view, uh, Brandon Cooks is, is, is running across her and he's open, um, albeit further down the field. So, you know, th- there was obviously still going to be big mistakes from Mills. But the way in which he got out of of, uh, of some jams, I know he was sacked five times, but the way he got out with a, a crowded pocket, uh, moved out through on the run, that throw to Chris Conley uh, in the fourth quarter. Again, garbage time, but... But still, it was good to see, you know, and that's what you're looking for, flashes. And I suppose, and then obviously there was the, the long touchdown to, to Cooks and behind. So, so the you know, some of the biggest criticism, like his deep ball, uh, like manoeuvring out the pocket and finding and keeping his eyes downfield and trying to find. So I thought they were all big pluses. Now, look, I've always said, I don't know where you are, John, but I've always said I think he's ceiling's a kind of backup type guy with, with some development. He could be better. But there was definitely some positives there from Mills' performance. Now, obviously, it's you know there's a, a hundred one factors riding against him, but I thought in isolation, some of what Davis did on Sunday was was positive and it was a step forward. Absolutely. Um, now, one thing I do like about Davis Mills, and I think Houston needs to, as a coaching staff, give him more opportunity, is down the field plays allow him to use his arm and get him out of the pocket. He's been very successful when he's been able to break out of the pocket, whether it be by design or being pressured because of the offensive line play. But he has had moments when he was able to spin out of that pocket and make a play downfield with his arm. They've bragged about how sneaky speedy he is. You know, let's see some of that. Create an offense that isn't so predictable. Teams are able, defensive teams aren't able to kind of, before the game, determine what they're going to have to do to stop it, and it's so easy. And I think this is what Houston's problem has been offensively this year. They've been trying to stick to a run game that's been non-existent, and Tim Kelly has not been consistently calling creative plays in order to get the offense going with Davis Mills at quarterback. Yeah, I think it's on the on the defensive side of the ball is the same issue, but I think, you know, we're, we're very, very predictable pre-snap versus, you know, post-snap look. Um, and I think with the offense as well, it's exactly the same. Um, constant screens and actually the one to Brevin Jordan if he if he broke it outside um, on that play um, Titus Howard's expecting him to do that whole tries to sort of seal the edge a bit from him if he goes he probably takes it the whole, you know the length of the field at that point um, and I thought Brevin was a small positive and he looks like an NFL player when he's out there so I think that was a big positive you know to take out of Sunday but yeah, I think that the play calling continues to hem Davison, and I think there's an issue there where, where they're just you know just let it loose, you know, because if you're going to lose by, how you know by the point by the biggest point spread in the league every Sunday, you know, so be it. But at least go down fighting, I think, and it it, it seemed like that. But but what what really kind of got to me, I think, what 
um, just watching back the tape today was that it was a lot of the kind of three you know three receiver uh, patterns, but taking time to develop, not particularly complex you know route combinations. Uh, but when you when you're up against that front that they were with Aaron Donald and uh, Leonard Floyd, you know, whipped up on <laughs> on uh, Charlie Heck, um, he just didn't get his feet set, and that was one of the sacks. As I said, five sacks in total. But I just thought even the plays that were downfield and sort of the the, the intermediate to long levels of the field, they were taking too long to develop. And I think you know, and there, there was you know, and Nico again was a positive, you know, in, in the bulk the. Uh, the the long kind of pass just before half time before they kicked the field goal into him and a missed field goal again by Kaimi but I thought that you know there was some good positives there but it, but I think what, what the trouble is as well and I struggle with is it's just watching the same old stuff over again that was the you know the two receiver route the max protect Yankee concept where they cross over and then whichever one hits you know has, has got the most space because uh, you're you're asking the safety to make a decision at that point. Um, and that was the big play in Nico, but you know it's all it's all very similar and it's all very predictable. So that when you're when you're watching the same frustrations that we had now with a less talented quarterback, I'm not surprised based on this scheme that is completely unchanged, you know, bar a few bits and pieces we've seen here and there. I'm not surprised he's struggling because we've seen this story play out, and I think that's probably the most frustrating kind of uh, bits I find watching the take because it just seems all. So familiar and predictable, kind of at times when you're watching the, you know, the old O'Brien playbook. Absolutely, and you know, it's it felt at times with the play calling and timing of it. It feels like Kubiak's playbook. And if, if I'm Kelly, I'm I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm not asking this question. Does it make more sense to just go ahead and go make majority four to five wide out majority of the game now for Houston because? How non-existent and under and underperformed this running game is, and allow your quarterback, whoever it may be. But in Davis Mills's, you know, I said the good thing that you do, allow him to go ahead and air it out more. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think because I mean, I suppose Tim Kelly basically did that in the last season. That was the best and the most. Inter- don't get me wrong; it was very unbalanced, you know. But by the football purist, it wasn't the best way to live live and die on offense. Um, but yeah, I think if you, if you're going to persist with Mills, um, then, you know, instead of him having, you know, 25 to 30 throws, give him 45 throws a game until the end of the season. And look, you might, you know, you might throw another 20 picks, um, but it's all development and it's all learning. Um, and it's all, it, it's all giving you something to think about for the future. Because if you put Tyrod back in, um, then it becomes more watchable in offense, but I think at the same time it doesn't necessarily. Uh, I mean, it, I, I, well, I said last week I thought if you bring Tyrod back in, does that help the development of Brevin Jordan and Nico Collins? And is Nico Collins or Brevin Jordan at least one of them? Have they got a better chance than Davis Mills on his own of being NFL starters for you? And the answer is probably yes. So, um, so I'm tempted to, you know, I, I think. I think they'll put in Davis next week because I think they're feeling the pin. Uh, sorry, I, th- I think Davis will hit the bench this week because I think they'll feel the pressure and they'll see another similar record against a team where they think they can maybe go and win. I, I think they'll probably go back to Tyrod this week. What do you think? I think so. I yeah. think so. I think this is a, a game that's more ideally to bring him back compared to going up against Aaron Donald, who got to Davis Mills five times, or they sacked him five times. Um, this is a more favorable game to ease Tyrod Taylor back into. Yeah. He's not going to be under as much pressure that maybe 
he would have been if it was the previous games. But Miami is a team that's struggling as well. You, you can kind of ease him back into it. But I wouldn't be surprised if Houston stuck with Davis Mills. And we talked about this on the Locked On Texans. Does it make more sense to allow Davis Mills to get his first career win, which is a strong possibility if they play Miami? Or do you insert Tyrod Taylor in hopes that he inspired the veterans that would be stuck around on his team after the trade deadline? Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think anything you do this year, it's only you've always got to take the mindset of it's an investment in the future. And um, and yeah, does him winning a few games give you a better idea? Perhaps. I suppose, yeah, I, I think with, with Davis Mills, it's not really wins and losses. Obviously, he would like to get that monkey off his back, wouldn't he? But it feels like that there's a lot to, you just want to see continual development of it. But I suppose at some point that that continuous development's then got to manifest itself in a win because that's why he's out there. And if the team's not winning, um, because I think we had, what was it? Yeah, 36 drives before Rex Burkhead ran that one in. 36 drives with a touchdown. So you think on his on his record to date on that alone, it's not been good enough. You know, you, you think, you know, if it was one in eight, you know, if it was one in, you know, one in, yeah, one in eight is probably about serviceable. You can get by probably playing good defence and if you could run the ball around that. But yeah, 36 tries with a score is just, it's inexcusable regardless of anything. So I think, and I think as well, the coaching staff have got to take a big shoulder of the blame because at the start of the season, you thought this team looks well coached. But I think this team only looked well coached in comparison to Jacksonville. Um, and as we've gone on the season, there's been continuous penalties. There's been continuous kind of uh, breakdowns in communication in the secondary. We've given up big plays. Um, and actually the well-coached solidity aspect that you thought this team might have that was going to maybe, you know, at least make it survivable this season has kind of completely disappeared. And I think Sunday was an example of that again. Yeah, they've been really huge on discipline since the preseason, the offseason. A changing the culture, which here in town, we're still trying to figure out what the, the basis of the culture is going to be. But being undisciplined has been an issue for this team uh, since, since, we, since we won. They've gotten penalties. They've had defensive communication breakdowns. And it's obvious in the secondary how much To turn it and then he's he's coming off the bench or he's held the scratch or this player isn't playing as much as they did last week and Zach Zach Cunningham, my God, his numbers have dropped in the last four games because he's not on the same page with what they're doing anymore. And that has all been evident as to why the Houston Texans have been having a lot of these discipline issues. There's no continuity anywhere on this team. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's it seems like they're they're you know, uh, and Desmond King was another example. Look, and I don't think Desmond King's a great outside corner. Um, you're asking him to play man coverage; he can't do that. But he's a good zone slot corner when asked to do you know sp specific uh, role with on the field. And you you know, and again, you, it just feels like you know you've got Vernon Hargreaves back out there. You know, we've seen that again. It just feels like last season all over again. You're still, um, I don't think necessarily last season's has to be repeated and it feels like that's un an unnecessary uh you know avenue that we'll walk down this year it feels like there's too much you know repetition by our own choice um 
of last year, but it, it certainly feels like you know we're not necessarily in a in a, in a spot where we're, we're we're taking any steps forward really. But in terms of in terms of the defense, um, John, what did you think of the what did you think of the the performance again this week? Because it felt like that was probably the easiest yards when you give up thirty eight points when they basically you know benched everyone in by the end of the third quarter. Um, and I, I tweeted a couple of clips today. And I don't know how Greg Jackson's still on a job as a safeties coach when Lonnie Johnson is backing off and backing off. And and, that, and actually the only time that he got he got slightly nosy, <laughs> I think it was Robert Robert Woods was in behind and it set up another one of the scores. So um, you saw him missing tackles and he's a guy, I don't know if he'd give up on at this point uh, because he just doesn't look like he has a clue what he's doing out there. He's either far too deep um, and it was a cover two look, and he's sitting about at least ten yards further deep than Justin Reed, who's the you know who's who's playing the other half of the field. So you think by that alone, he could just look to his colleague and sit you know roughly where he needs to be. So yeah, I I, I think that you know there's an element of talent absolutely, but how Greg Jackson's still in the job right now, um, if we've seen the same issues, um, same with the light linebackers and coverage as well, you know, and even on the first play. Uh, it was uh, Kirksey and uh, Kruger Hill both try to hit the same gap, and then uh, Darrell Henderson runs outside and starts off the game with an easy, you know, seven or eight yard game. I just thought that was the least disciplined I've seen this defense play all year. I agree. I agree. And for one, Lonnie Johnson's mechanics have been terrible. His mechanics have been terrible. Uh, I do think there's some communication issues between he and Justin Reed. At that safety position, but I agree with what you're saying. Greg Jackson still have a job. I don't understand that at all. Yeah. And maybe because they're gonna do do justice by him and at the end of the year when the season's over with, we'll let them know then. But if you're in a, a year like the Texans are in, I think it's okay to kind of move on from a guy um, early on unless you don't have anybody to replace him. But yeah. I agree. Thirty eight points. Through three quarters, Matt Stafford and the rest of the guys get get a chance to sit for a whole quarter, relax, um, bring in some food, eat while the rest of the game is going on. But it's not acceptable. And I wonder, did they make the right choice with Lovey Smith bringing him back? He had issues in college with his defense. He's having issues now. Yes, Houston has done a better job this year compared to last year in creating turnovers. But the communication errors and the big plays they gave up, Mirrors the same defense from last year, just change the front. That has been an issue, excuse me, an issue for Houston so far this year. The defense has been mildly disappointing. Yeah, I think it's just that the fact that it's just so simple. And I, I tweeted out a clip today, uh, or just a still frame of how much space, uh, I think it was Cooper Cup took the reception in the third quarter. And I think Justin Reed was about nine yards off him and the covering cornerback who'd, who'd let him obviously come into the next zone, so therefore it's time for the safety to set up. I think it's always hard to tell the rules, and it's unless you're in the huddle or unless you're in the meeting room, you don't know the exact responsibility. So it's always hard to kind of to say definitively what should have happened. But what shouldn't happen is the best receiver on their team and arguably having you know one of the best seasons of any receiver in Cooper Cup just drifts into that zone and he's not got anybody within 10 yards of him. Um, and we've seen that happen. You know, you saw that in the Carolina game with DJ Moore con consistently found that spot. And you know, if teams need to move the ball, and there's, there's always easy, easy options that, and also the bucket in behind between the corner and the uh, and the safety on the sideline. We see it every week. You saw it again this week. 
And it just it just feels like the gaping holes that are there are there every week. Every team can see it, but they don't seem to change much up apart from personnel doing, you know, arguably just as bad as a role as as the person did before. And and I think it's maybe a case that Lovey Smith's scheme is now outdated and out of out of touch with the modern game. Um but I think when when you've got simple, simple breakdowns, I think Part of it is maybe you know thirty forty percent scheme at times, um, but if guys just start to the assignment and execute it in the most basic and fundamental way, is uh, would be fine because there was there was the one where uh, cup run right down the sideline, Lonnie Johnson's you know far too deep comes up misses the tackle and he gets it again so he misses two tackles and then you know and it just breaks the game. I mean the game is done by that point right, but it's just a small example of consistent problems that are there every week and it feels like we've got zero answer and you know a lot of that is the coaching staff but the players have to take a fair share of the blame as well I think Good question Do you think that Justin Reed is a player that Houston should prioritize moving forward and or how high of when you look at draft needs how high is safety on that list for Houston yeah, I think Justin is a funny player because when he plays well, he often gets injured. Um, and then he's not, you know, he started off the season well. And we've talked about this quite a lot and it was always going to be probably one of the bigger decisions. Like if somebody phones up, you know, calls up Casario today and offers a fourth or a fifth round pick, you probably take it. Um, because when you're rebuilding safety just by the law of team building, I don't think it's necessarily that high on your... On you know if you know there's very few safeties that go in the top ten unless they're you know unbelievably you know transcendent talent. So yeah, I, I, I there's a, there's a, there's one part of me that says well you have to pay some guys and you have to keep some level of continuity, um, but I just don't think necessarily his plays warranted because I, I put a clip uh, stuck a, a clip out on Twitter today, and I and, I, and if you watch the the first touchdown. Where um where they throw it into uh, Darrell Henderson motions across the back of the formation, um the 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 wide receiver I think which is Robert Woods goes the opposite way on the formation and uh, and Kirksey almost gets run ran into by Justin Reed, he's not covering anyone at that point and it's just you know an easy layup in the red zone where, you know in theory for offenses it's harder because gaps should close quicker because there's less space um. So, yeah, I thought either he's still hurt and he's still struggling again, which is the case every season he's had, um, or he's dogging it. And I don't know if he thinks, if he's fed up or not. You know, subconsciously, he's not playing the level he was the first couple of weeks, you know, when things were, you know, seemed a bit, you know, a bit more even keel. So I don't I don't think you can pay him um, what he's looking for. And look, I'm not to say that I know what he's looking for, but I can imagine... The way he carries himself, he's got, you know, and he, he's a great guy off the field, great interview. And, uh, you know, very articulate, very intelligent guy, but his play's just not been there. So if it was a one or two year deal or a one year prove it deal, um, fine, but you're not going to fran- franchise tag him because the safety market with the Jamal Adams contract, I think the franchise tag's <laughs> like 19 million or something this year. Way so too much. Yeah, he's not even, and he's not even worth half that based on what he's done to this point. So, um, you know, if he's going to stay around for seven or eight million a year, um, and take a take a discount, but there'll be some team out there that'll watch it and go, you know, let's give them, you know, you know, people are always paying free agency, and if I was if I was an agent advising any player on this roster who's in a contract year, I would say test the market. You're doing no, you, you're not, you're not, you're not doing you your career 
um, or this team's not going to be good anytime soon. So test the market and see where you get to, because in the next two or three years, you could get injured and it could all be over and you could be, you know, you could easily be facing another four or five win season next year. So, you know, for him, I, I, I would I would bet he would test the market. If he doesn't, he's been ill-advised by his agent. Um, and there's and there's no reason to think any player would be loyal to this organisation because you saw that with Cobb, you saw that with Merciless. As soon as they got out, they had, you know, very specific comments to say about how the, the team's running and the way in which they manage, you know, modern day players. And I think they just, they've just not adapted to, you know, uh, a need of player empowerment. And I, I don't think they've adapted to that at all, this team, um, even with this, you know, in inverted commas, new, uh, new regime. Uh, it's, um, they've not adapted. So, yeah, I, I think there's so many aspects to Justin Reed. One, I don't think you can pay him, but two, if you were him, you've got to go and test, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Do yeah. yourself a favor. I think he's still young and talented, but you know, why, why, why potentially waste what could be the prime of your career in Houston? But I do think him and Houston has a connection with one another. They believed in him. They drafted him. Uh, they've, they've, they really respect him. They, they've made him one of those, uh, you know, HEB player when they, when they had the HEB commercial yeah, he was yeah, on yeah, there. So yeah. they worked towards making him one of the faces, young faces of this team. It's a good thing, excuse me, it's a good thing that Houston does have some young talent. How do you feel about John Grenard through eight weeks of the season so far? Yeah, I think, I mean, he's still raw. And I think if you look at the, you know, there's a couple of plays where he didn't set the edge, and, and but there's a couple of plays he does. Um, so, yeah, he's still getting there. But that's not his fault because this is basically his rookie year because they just refused to play him last year, you know, which is so frustrating because you think of how, you know, where he could be in his development curve this year if he just had got the snaps last year. So, yeah, I mean, look, if you look at the stats, you know, seven, was it seven sacks now? Um, uh, he's on a streak. Um I, you know, I think yeah, you you can't uh, you can't fault the production, um, albeit again this was a, a you know the backup quarterback that he sacked. But yeah, Grenard, I think he's got he's got a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of upside. I think he's probably your perfect number two um, pass rusher on a good team, um, you know, or even you know a th- you know or a or a tertiary guy who comes in for passing downs and you keep him fresh. You know, and he could be even more productive because he's playing, you know, only the passing downs, and he's not, and he's not necessarily playing the the snaps he is. But one thing I took out of it actually, John, what do you think? I, the and I don't know if other teams do this, and just because we haven't watched the four three, but why do they always play the same four up front and just swap unit one and unit two out? Because it seems too predictable. Because you've got uh, Martin uh, Grenard. Lopez and Malik Collins, who I think had he probably has, has actually Malik Collins is actually starting to round into form a little bit the last couple of weeks, and I think he's looking like a guy you might want to keep. Uh, but then they all, but then they go Amenahu, um, who will come on to, um, uh, uh, Blacklock, um, and who's the, who's the other one? Blacklock uh, and whoever's in the other last four. Who's the one again? Um, uh, they put Jenkins out there. A couple oh, of Jenkins, times. yeah, about and then. Johnson? And Demarcus Jenny Walker, Johnson. yeah, DeMarcus and Johnson's Walker. been out the last couple of weeks. But they they have the they have the four, and then they just and they basically just take all four out and put the other four in. And I, I don't know if that does that help. I, I don't think that necessarily helps, um, you know, teams because surely it's easy. It's it's again, it just goes back to that predictability point of this defense um, that it just you know it just has one package. It's A or B, and that's all you're getting. Yeah, um, the team. I think. The team does have a trust issue between the coaching staff and the players. Who they can trust, 
to produce and perform more. And then when Ross Blacklock went out, that gave a lot of playing time more to Roy Lopez, excuse me, uh, along with Walker and, and those boys. So they were really trying to work in Blacklock early on. He went out for a couple of games and they had to put other players up. So now they're still trying to figure out the best rotation on a consistent basis. That had been a problem for Houston, uh, I think so, for half of the year so far because of injury or because of protocol, COVID protocol. Yeah. Yeah, so who are the, based on what we've seen so far, and as I said, it's kind of all winning games is kind of secondary, it's about development. Is there any players you want to you wanna see more of um, that, that, that we've not, you know, because we talked about last season, the, the, the back end stretch was a waste of games. Um, is there guys you, you've kind of seen or not seen that you want to that you want to see more of? I want to see more of Ross Blacklock. I want to be able yeah. to see him pop off the screen. That's it, man. I think if you're going to stick with Levy Smith or not, Houston still needs a disruptive, uh, one and a half, two, three technique. I want to have a one, two, or three technique. Houston really does need a two or three technique that can be athletic, that's able to get after the quarterback and stop the run. And I'm expecting Ross Blacklock, who showed flashes before the COVID protocol, he showed flashes that he'll be productive, very productive for this defense. So for me, it's number one is Ross Blacklock. Yeah, because yeah, because that, that goes back to the point because I, I was making there about the the unit A and B because why not take out Roy Lopez on third down at times and put Ross Blacklock in and give him a chance with next to Malik Collins because you know if he's rushing against a guy who's a better rusher, you know not, you know sometimes that will lead to more opportunities for him and I think that's that's what kind of to worries me. Another guy who who got some snaps um, but not not enough was Scotty Phillips because I, I when I was watching the tape and Darrell Henderson. I was running and I just thought he just looks so much quicker than all our backs when they've got the ball where it's, you know, where it's Rex Burkhead, uh, whether it was Philip Lindsay. Um, he just looked, he just got more juice. He's got more burst in his legs because he's a younger guy. And we've not had a young guy that we've trusted to to give the ball. So I, I don't see, you know, and I know there's not, you know, huge uh, gaping blocking lanes being made for him by this offensive line completely in flux at the minute. Uh, but I think Scotty Phillips has got to be given a, you know, a twenty twenty five carry you know game for here and now at the end of the season. Because then, you know, after all said and done, at least you know what you've got. I agree. A lot of fans feel, uh, and I do kind of a little bit, depending on how bad the run game looks on Sundays, but a lot of fans feel like this is one of those players that you've been backed into a corner to let play. You brought him yeah. back on for the 53-man roster. They underperformed. Uh, six out of seven games, they hadn't rushed for 100 yards. Uh, out of eight games, they hadn't rushed for 100 yards. Go ahead and play him. This could possibly be an Aaron Foster moment, or we could all possibly be wrong. You know, he's an undrafted player that needed a, a chance to play football. But at this point, you can't continue to play a David Johnson or Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay, I think more so, you can't continue to play. David Johnson will at least give you 30 to 40 yards in the past game. Philip Lindsay hasn't accounted for much throughout this entirety of the season. So go ahead and give Scotty Phillips some time to play football. Yeah, I think as well. It's like it's like Brevin Jordan. Like you know, you know what you've got in the other tight ends. Um, you know, go and see what you've got. You know, get get nine games on on tape, um, or eight games on tape, and just see what he's got. And uh, I think he he's one I want to see more of. Um, and I think as well, you you've got. Uh, 
Yeah, you, you've got guy, you've got guys there who on the offensive line it's still not working, right? And I just don't see why you just don't. Put, and I've talked about this again, you know, so many consecutive weeks. But just put Titus Hubbard back out at tackle, and I thought he had a decent game. Um, you know, wasn't watching him exclusively. But I thought he played okay this week at guard. Uh, but when your tackles are getting beat, um, like Charlie Heck was against uh, Leonard Floyd. You know, put him back out at tackle because I don't think it necessarily you know does him or the longer term benefit the team because is Charlie Heck your next tackle for the next you know so many years because Marcus Cannon is not going to be here next year based on that contract because I think he's their sixth highest cap pit next year so he's he's not going to be here unless he's massively structured I don't think he did that well anyway the fact that you, you traded picks from you could add young guys in here um, he took you a key spot in the draft that was a failed trade. And then you've got a guy like um, Gary and Christian playing left tackle. Who was, he's okay. He's a good. He's maybe a possible swing tackle for you. But you know what's the higher upside right now for this team? Is it is it testing what Titus Howard looks like even at left tackle, um, or or putting him back at a right tackle versus what he's going to give you at guard? And I think that's that's a big thing. I don't think they'll change it though. I think there's a stubbornness here that that from this coaching staff again similar to the previous coaching staff that um, there's a, a stubbornness there of them but I think beyond that there isn't too much that you can probably uh, you can probably see Kevin Pierre-Lewis if he can get healthy what's he got at linebacker um, but he's not been healthy to this point um, but beyond that yeah I think there's a couple of guys that picked up on the practice squad they've signed and may come in replacements Um but yeah, there isn't a huge amount of guys that you're looking forward to seeing, I think. And I think that's the worry. But Nico Collins, I think, flashed on Sunday again. Um, and he's out snap. You know, he has, he's probably one of the few players where his snaps are where they need to be. He's, he's the number two probably on this depth chart. Um, and he's getting the snaps to associate with that. But any more you want to see? Yeah, I want to see Craig Young LeBlanc. Houston yeah. brought him in. He's been in the practice squad. And our cornerback situation here in town hasn't been the best. So go ahead and play him along with Jimmy, Jimmy Moreland. You brought yeah, those guys yeah. in. They they've been on the practice squad. I think uh, I think Moreland got some special team burn. I'm not 100 percent sure, but for the most part, they have not been featured. Yeah, and, and, and it goes back to the same point that I made with the running back situation. At some point, that has to be somebody else that can play because your options right now aren't getting the job done. Same goes for the cornerback situation. You brought them in. Uh, I know you had to get them up to speed. They were brought in during the season. But I think the bye week is going to be very important for Houston. They have extra weeks so where they can go ahead and game plan a little bit better, look at their roster, and see who needs to finish out the season. Yeah, I think in the secondary you want to find anybody because I think that was the frustration about Desmond King because literally that week he'd been in front of team media. Uh, he'd been talking about, you know, he gave the return game a lift um, that we hadn't had. He got more yards in the one game than... Than, uh, than Andrew Roberts had got in all the games prior, and it, it looked good. And you know, and I was think, I know, I was thinking myself midweek. Actually, he's a guy you could keep because if he can, if he is your primary returner on kickoffs and punt returns, and then he's also maybe a third or fourth guy who can come and fill in at the nickel if you need, if you need to, not an every down player. Um, and you maybe want to have a young guy, a reasonably high pick, competing with that spot. Um, but I thought, yeah, maybe he's one of those guys, and I, you know, and I think just like Terence Mitchell, could be your fifth corner, <laughs> but not your starting corner. So there's a couple of guys here that, you know, that, that are potentially, uh, potential, you know, potential, you know, carry-ons. I think Gruger Hill, sometimes I think, yeah, he looks a player, and then other times he makes really basic mistakes. 
um, and you can see why teams have moved on from him. Um, but yeah, there isn't a huge amount of guys um, in this. I, I, I keep thinking as well, and there's perhaps a reason, but uh, Garrett Wallow, just see what he's got at linebacker, or even even play. I, I, look, I don't think he's got the athleticism to play safety. Um, but you know, if if you've got some some uh, some kind of you know the kind of playing the robber role, or the guy coming down into the box as a kind of box safety role. You know that uh, when we picked up Julie Ladai a couple of years ago, and he did that really well. See what he's got at that role. You know, find situations that you can put these guys in and play. Uh, but it feels like on the defensive side, of the box is bland cover two. Not much flex. Go a bit of cover one, sometimes cover three, but it, it doesn't really feel like you know they're they're willing to experiment. I hope that changes after the trade deadline, and we'll talk about the trades now. But hopefully, the that maybe the trades will spur some kind of uh, some trial and error because it, now's the time for it. But I think as well, there's an element of maybe the coaching staff feeling the heat a little as well. Yeah, I think so too. Also. You know, I mentioned the bye week, and you mentioned a good point with Gary Willow. Also, it's going to be very important for this defense. We're kind of like <laughs> we're kind of bagging on the defense right now, but it's going to be important for this defense and offense, but to reassess who gets snaps in what situations. I think yeah. this is that has been an issue, and to reassess play calling in certain situations. I think that's been more of an issue. You know, getting away from the run so much. Allow this quarterback, as we mentioned earlier in the conversation, to kind of rip it some more. Utilize Nico Collins a lot more in the passing game, I think, is very important. So they're going to get an opportunity to reassess players, situations, and and, and protocol and putting players in, in the best situations on the field to execute. Yeah, and I think that that's 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 kind of the frustration when you move on from Anthony Miller, you move on from even Kiki Cutie in the favor of Danny Amendola. He's not going to give you then the future, but he's out there you know, taking up snaps and I think, you know, the, yeah, the, the, there's there's so few options, I think, on this team and I think you would, you know, hopefully we can, you know, uh, go and pick up some guys from practice squads and, and find out what we've got. Um, I don't think the centre, uh, Justin McCree, did all that well. So, you know, you picked up Jimmy Morrissey from the Raiders uh, who, by all accounts, people were reasonably impressed with um, as a draft prospect, just kind of fell down some boards for a variety of reasons. But, you know, he's a guy there as a young centre, you know, when, when the Texans took Greg Manson, put him in in 2016, he had a great season. Um, and, you know, and centre's a position you can find players at all levels of the, uh, you know, of the of the kind of, you know, the pl player acquisition tree, if you like. So, you know, an undrafted guy like that, what's the, you know, we know what Justin McCray is at this, you know, at this uh, juncture of his career. Let's go and see what, what maybe exists with a guy like Jimmy Morrissey. So um kind of feels like he should be a singer or something like that, really, when he might have. But, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely guys out there that, you know, that you could go and pick off practice squads at positions in need, like cornerback, which is the hardest position to fill in. You know, as I remember Daniel Jeremiah tweeted that out once, said, if you've got a kid playing ball, and they don't know what position to be in, and if it's wide receiver or corner, tell them to play corner because there is streets and streets full of guys who could probably come and do a job at wide receiver. But people are literally looking around, you know, looking in the anywhere they can to find a corner. So, like, I think that's a position that you can probably only address high in the draft um, or free agency. But you know, there, there's certain spots like safety, you know, whether it may be center or whether it might be wide receiver. Um, whether it might be, you know, even at linebacker, I'm not convinced by any of these linebackers at this stage wholly that you've got three guys you can trot out there. So yeah, I hope after the bye we maybe get a bit more um a bit more 
a bit more experiment. I know we've signed TJ Green, who was our second round pick out of Clemson, and you know at this stage of his career, he's probably you know you know on the street right now, um, for for a reason. But you know, take chances on guys because there's nothing to lose. And trotting out Vernon Hargreaves, trotting out Lonnie Johnson at safety. You know, Jesus, I, I would I wouldn't even mind putting Lonnie Johnson back at corner. And I know that's but that ship's probably sailed right now. I think, but you know, I think he'd probably be. You know, I, I said that to somebody today. I think if anybody was to trade for Lonnie Johnson today, it would probably be because they can think of a rec- he's a, a a reclamation project and putting him at, back at corner because it can't be his safety. So, you know, I, I just hope we go after guys and just be a bit creative and churn that bottom of the roster and, and get them on the practice squad in the last four or five weeks of the year. Give these guys game time and see what they've got because we've got nothing to lose now, and we're watching the same old rubbish each week. And it's it feels like don't waste the time that we did last year. I think would be my message if if any of the coach staff would dare to listen, you know. Yeah, man. What do you feel about the Charles Minhu trade? Yeah, so we'll get on to that then. Yeah, so yeah, so just before we um, started recording right now, it just flashed up um, on Twitter here that um, Charles Minhu has been traded for future late round pick so we've not seen that um come through yet but um it is it's the former fifth, fifth round pick um is going to is going to San Francisco I don't know how many snaps he'll get there is a, a it's a quite a loaded front you think you got um you, you've obviously got uh Javian Kinlaw came at South Carolina you've obviously got Bosa on the edge um they've got a number of players it was a good defense he, he'll he'll have a role and I think I think what was frustrating was Charles can't really rush from the edge. He can't set the edge, so you can't play him on rundowns. But what what he is good at is rush is, is kind of rushing inside um, on a four man front. So if he can come in and be a situational rusher for them up the middle, um, then yeah, I think he'll he'll do well there. Um, I think he's obviously butted heads with the coaching staff. Um, I saw a couple of people. I don't know if you've seen anything concrete on it, John, but I I was sort of told that from a couple of people that it was. Uh, it was just effort, effort and practice and general attitude, I think, was what they benched him for. Um, but it's a shame to see him go. I met him uh, in the Galleria a couple of years ago um, and I thought he was a, he was a great guy. I, you know, he, he was a really good guy to speak with. Um, and then it, then that Sunday went up and strip-sacked uh, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City and turned the game round in our favour. He's never been consistent enough and I think that's his trouble. And that was, that was the criticism day one. At one minute, he looks like a pro bowler the next minute. Um, it doesn't even look like he could he could play in a collegiate bowl, um, so a better coaching staff might get more out of him. Um, I don't know, but um, he'll be asked to play a specific role. He won't have too much on his plate, um, and I think you you know you 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 will see him at some point in the season flash up on red zone or highlight plays and stuff. He's got that in his locker. He just isn't a down and down out player. But if he goes to San Francisco, they're probably not asking him to do that. Yeah, and I, and I also think Houston, you know. Is moving on from a player that they didn't bring in. I mean, yeah. who was a was a uh, was it O'Brien O'Brien guy, O'Brien yeah. Gang guy? Yeah, so Brian they're, Gain, they're moving yeah. on from a player that they didn't bring in. Uh, they're gonna what they've been doing, trying to reshape this locker room in their best image. You hate to see him go. He still was a talented player, uh, and I thought that defensive line looked better with him on the field at that three position. Yeah. Uh, whenever they just you know kind of utilized him more after the. Oh, oh no, I mean, who the uh, Whitney Merciless releasing. Um, they never was on the same page. It was like you mentioned, effort, issues at practice. He seemed not to want to be there. They seemed not to want to maybe put up with a player that they didn't even invest in in the first place. He was taking on. Mm-hmm. So 
You know, I wish nothing but, but the be uh, excuse me, nothing but the best out there in San Fran. And he's a player that, as you mentioned, he'll flash a game here, play here, drive here. Never been too consistent, which is what we wanted to see in Houston. But you're adding him to a defensive line that's already pretty good. Then they'll only get better. Yeah, I think is. I mean, when you look at the compensation, or when we finalize it, it's been it's been referenced as a future pick. So I don't think it'll be. Uh, I'll not be in this upcoming draft. It would seem. Um, so you're probably looking at a sixth. You know, twenty twenty three pick probably. I would I would suggest. Uh, and that's probably about right value based on his production. I think it's, um, but yeah, it's just, it's a shame. I think you when you when you see it's it's just more players that probably you could have molded into something, but you failed to do that. And um, you know, you will go and he'll add to a long list of, <laughs> of guys that should you know should arguably be here and could have been a lot better um, than what what they have been. Yeah, Houston has had a problem with drafting players like that. You know, within the last few years, they've had Deontay Foreman. That was an issue. You know, we thought he was going to be better than what he was. Akiki QT, Charles Omenahu, and all of these guys are actually Texas-born guys, yeah. which is kind of funny. But uh, they, they, the Kevin Johnson, which was always a big issue because you dropped the Kevin Johnson over Marcus Peters, the, the possibility of what Marcus Peters could have done for that defense at the time. It's, so it's kind of funny, but... I think if we're able to see that, then GMs who've been in the league 20 plus years, they're able to see that as well, which is probably why Nick Castillo has been trying to kind of stock up on as many picks as he needs for this upcoming draft, because this will be his first full availability draft to get the guys that he wants to come in that he wasn't able to get this past draft because of how Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby, and the rest of the guys ran the ship before he got to town. Yeah. And I, I think as well, I, I... You would assume, um, and it might just be what's on offer, but you you maybe assume that based on the fact that they're willing to take future picks, um, with the Mark Ingram example, which is which occurred since the last time we recorded an episode here, but Mark Ingram went for a twenty twenty four pick late, um, which was the seventh, which was the least you could get, um, and it goes back to that culture thing because it, it ties into Charles Menehu as well. I thought that that was an interesting trade because I know they said, oh, well, they came to him and they gave him respect to what he's done in his career. If it hadn't been another team, they wouldn't have let him go. Um, but I just thought when you're trying to build this culture and, you've, and they've hidden behind that as a shield at times this season, when he was the guy who was meant to implement that culture and you, you saw that in the mic up, David Cully, you're here just for more than just your yards, all this kind of stuff. To then all of a sudden turn your back on that after six or seven weeks and go, oh yeah, we'll take the, the least possible compensation another team could offer you. Does that either either that means they've given up on this season or they've give or they're not quite sure on this whole culture thing, or it was all hot air. And I thought the Mark Ingram trade was more than just an getting a, a late round pick in, in two years' time um for a 31-year-old running back, um, than it you know, than it was anything else. And I think it said a lot about where they are as a team and maybe some of the kind of hot air and kind of some of those lines and rhetoric that they've fed through the media. And I think that was, it was an interesting one, I thought, Ingram. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of people sided with Brandon Cooks. You know, he, he went to Twitter to express his yeah. emotions about the trade because you brought in Mark Ingram, you restructured Brandon Cooks' deal, but these two veterans bought in to the Kool-Aid you were serving, right? Yeah. They bought in. They were with you. They were. They believed in Cully from what we've seen and what Mark Ingram has constantly said. He, be, you know, he believed he was there for Cully. So, and of course, my, my friend made a point. 
he was also there to play football because he had just came off an injury in Baltimore and nobody else would probably give him a call. I, I don't think so. So maybe he came to Houston in order to play football. And, oh, yeah, I have a relationship with this coach who's not my head coach. But while you can be upset at that, it was the right move. Mark Ingram wasn't the needle to make this team better or worse. Mark Ingram was a part of why this team was bad. Now, of course, I'm not landing on Mark Ingram's shoulders. The offensive line has been atrocious at getting to the next level this year in order to create running rooms. I get that. So the best thing you can do if you respect them like this organization has said they did, is exactly what they had to do. Go ahead and send you back home to New Orleans. With you know, prior to Jameis Winston injury, they look like they're going to be a very good team, and allow you to kind of rot out in the sunset. I think they should do the same for Brandon Cooks as well. Yeah, what would you? I know, I know they've kind of said. Well, they said on Sunday they want to build around them, uh, which. I know he's only twenty seven or twenty eight, and he feels like he's been in the league a long time. But you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it'd be a, a a stretch to to say to anybody that by the time he's he's past his best, we'll not be <laughs> we might not even be good again. Because um, it's would you what would you take for Brandon Cooks if somebody picks up the phone now before four p.m. Eastern? What would you take for Brandon Cooks? Done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take it. Yeah, I would take that. Yeah, it's probably on the lower end, maybe, but uh, when you when you traded a second for him, but yeah, I probably would take that. I don't see why not. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he is he is your offense, and you will have to make it even worse to watch this year. That would be a hard one to sell the fan base. I don't think it will happen. Um, I think ideal. I think it. it I think it, I would take that. I think if they were to trade him. They would have to get a twenty-two third to do it right now. Yeah. And that was my next question: Does Houston prioritize the immediate draft for certain players, depending on you know the compensation that they want back? For instance, Brandon Cooks, we we need something in twenty-two. Uh, Cunningham, we may need something for twenty-two. You're okay with Obina who going for something in? later years but for certain players we need it immediately for this upcoming draft yeah yeah because i think you have to replace them don't you so yeah i think if they were to pull the trigger um in real terms of what i think they'll do versus what i would do um yeah i think you would because i mean right now i'm i'm, I'm almost almost ready right off next season as well as, as tough as that is to sound halfway through but i think that's that's the length of the rebuild that that's at stake here um and obviously there's a, a mitigating factor there with the Deshaun trade. We'll come back to that. But um, Ingram trade, yeah. Um, John, if somebody offered you, if somebody phoned up uh, Caserio right now and asked, offered, what would you take for Laramie Tunsil? What would you What would you say? Need a player back. Right. I definitely need a player back. So it would depend on the team. And I'm not taking anything less than a second round pick. Second, yeah. And which is which of you think when you gave up two first and a second two years ago? Um, and look, I I agree. I would take a second round pick as well. Um, and I think you, it would be indefensible to the, the the fan base. I think you you don't. I don't think they would do it because they've invested. They've they've gone through the pain of that now. Um, but I think when you consider the contract, 
considering that you'll have to make him the highest paid tackle again if he's going to, you know, and it was only a three-year deal. Um, when you add the context to it, you know, he's already at 22 million APY. I know it was only, we're only paying out 19 in terms of cash flow pre-renegotiation uh, when we, when we signed him up to uh, convert his salary into signing bonus at the start of the season. But if you think in real terms, that was 22 million APY when you include the, he played on the fifth year extension with no increase. In real money, it's twenty-two million, and that's the way he'll look at it. So you've probably got to eclipse that, um, which was sort of David Bactiari money. Um, and I always think as well, and I not to revise history, but I saw a couple of clips of Trent Williams, and you saw they got a, you know how San Francisco got a third and a fifth from. He is by far the best left tackle in football right now, uh, particularly in the run game. Just cleans people out every week, clears big holes. Um, you know, it could have been. I mean, there's a million and one moments you could have seen it. It could have all been very different, but. Um, yeah, picking him up for a third and a fifth versus versus that is uh, is is kind of crazy. But yeah, I'd probably take a second. Yeah, if it was if it was a second plus a player that you you could get on a rookie deal. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, Tunsil yeah would take. Um, in Jordan, so Jeremy Fowler of ESPN tweeted out a couple of names. I'll give you them. Let me know what you think you take from Jordan Aitkins. Uh, a fifth rounder, six fifth to sixth rounder. Yeah, even even in future years. Yeah, I don't think he wants more than a 56-round pick. Yeah, he's 29. It's on, you know, the team that wants him. How much in need are they for a player like Aikens? But I can't see him going higher than a fifth-round pick. Yeah, and Green Bay are in a, a need for a tight end, I think, just now with Robert Tunyon getting injured. So um, I know they sort of sniffed. Yeah, so they sniffed around Will Fuller last year. Um, wouldn't give up more than a third. So you think, yeah, maybe a six is kind of in the right Rounds for him. Uh, Lonnie Johnson was a name. Um, I'd be surprised if he got anything for him. What would you What would you say Lonnie was worth? Hypothetically speaking. Well, how you hypothetically speaking? Yeah. Because I don't think nobody's going to trade for him. No. I could be wrong, but I, I would say a sixth or seventh round pick. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And the same same with Philip Lindsay as well. He was another name there. I think a you know a sixth or a seventh future is about as best you can hope for. No, um, like Twenty three or something. Yeah. In like Zach Cunningham was another name. I think based on his contract. Based on the dead cap that you'd have to take, uh, what would you think Zach Cunningham will be worth if some team is needing third? a line? Maybe a, maybe yeah. a third rounder. I don't know if you get that. If you think his tape all last year was terrible, he's been his role has been diminished this year, um, and his contract is he's sitting in there in the top sort of top ten, top twelve guys at the off the ball linebacker. I don't know. I don't know if teams will give up for him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have to release him. If you, wow, because my next at some point it might not be it might not be now, but it might happen this off season or a, a post June first cut or something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know if teams will give up much for him, which is which is crazy. You think I think there would be some value there, and I think some team would pay him. But I think again, the contract and the Easter be legacy of <laughs> of negotiating that through athletes first. I think um, that's quite a lot to quite a lot to consider as well. Yeah, my question was going to be: Would you, would you, uh, excuse me, would you look to cut him, or even in the trade take on a lot of that of his contract in order to get maybe the the compensation you want back? Yeah, I think you you have to. Yeah, you'd have to. You'd have to. Well, you will have to. I think you do have to eat another seven eight million this year. And last I checked, I think we're down to six point eight. Uh, cap space so I think it'd be pretty tight if we did trade him this year so um, from my understanding of it I think fiscally it was very difficult to do uh, which I kind of thought he wasn't going to be traded but 
um, we will see. Um, yeah, I, and I think that's it really. I think obviously that we don't expect them to do anything big. I, I think this uh, this off season, I mean, sorry, this this trade deadline rather, and and I expect Watson's kind of situation to rumble in the off season. It kind of felt like it would. Um, even though there was a big public outcry a week or so ago, and everybody said the deal was going to be done. Um, first of all, John, what did you th- what do you think of you know what Miami has to offer, um, and are you comfortable letting it roll it right into the off season? Yes, <laughs> simply because it w- it would have been different if Miami was a better team. But Miami may pick two, and we pick three, or vice versa. So I think you're going to get that number one pick back. Also, Miami does also have players, especially on that defensive front, that Houston could use. Maybe a Raekwon Davis, maybe a Christian Wilkerson. Yeah. Um, the issue for Miami is bringing in a Deshaun Watson contract with the Xavier Howard contract. So I wonder what Houston could do to kind of help facilitate that trade because they want what they want back. Of course, I don't think it would have been an issue if it wasn't for the 22 allegations that Deshaun has hovering over him right now. But they want the compensation that they want back. It does come down to picks for them. After that first round pick, does it get better for Miami? But I think being able to pick within the first top five in the NFL draft that has a lot of talent coming out outside of the quarterback position would be great for Houston. And I would request a player back as well. Yeah, because I, I think cause the, the issue with the Miami offer is I just don't think they've got enough to offer us over the next two years because you know, you, it's the San Francisco's pick they've got this year, not their own. That, that you know, their own pick and their one and seven record is similar to us is is, is sitting uh, is sitting with uh, the Philadelphia, um, and then their future two picks as well, uh, which would be in the next year, will be San Francisco, who based on the talent on the roster, even if um, you know Trey Lance works out to just be kind of middle of the road game manager in that system, you think they're going to be an eight or nine win team next year I know things have kind of been slow start but at some point they'll, they'll pick up probably some momentum and they've got us on their schedule so there's a win right there for them to climb up the draft board and then I think as well or the, dra- or the draft rankings rather um, and then Miami if, if you know if Deshaun's there you think surely that you know there'll be an 8 or 9 win team again so then you might end up with 3 picks all in the 20s um, for a guy who's worth a hell of a lot more than that um, so I'm, I'm very cautious of dealing with Miami hence why I think Roll it through the off season, build the market. You've got Pittsburgh there, you've got Denver there, uh, you've got New York potentially could come into the to the rankings uh, or the stakes for them at some point. And you never know what's going to happen. I think with um, anybody, you know, New Orleans could you know could be making a call tonight. Um, I know they don't have many picks. I know they don't have any cap space. So seeing that happen right now it would be very difficult. But a lot can change every Sunday, and I think just. Casario's, I think, needs to just hold, and I think he knows that, and I think he's been described as like the least emotional partner out of it. He, he's inherited this situation, so um, he's very matter of fact. So hopefully, he can see this through and just let it and let it rumble out and and and, and end up in a position where uh, we wait for the market to come to us and don't make a move now, um, and 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 feel comfortable um, that you can do that. Now, look, there's 101 legal issues and wild assumptions that, you know, people have thrown at me and, um, you know, as a consideration in the matter. But I think you've just got to assume all things are equal and he will play at some point uh, because you're giving them to a team or you're selling them to a team for a price who ideally are going to get 10, 12 years production out of them. You know, the next two or three might be a little bit rough at times. Um, but... 
he can still sling the football regardless of his kind of you know chosen behaviours off it. So I think you've just got to let this one kind of settle out really, and hopefully. Um, you know, you let the market come to you, and things might, you know, people might get a bit more certainty over time. And as well, I, th- I think from the no trade clause point of view, I think you almost you you don't you shouldn't underestimate how how much time will unsettle his side of the table and maybe change their opinion on where and where and when they might go. Um, because a year's a long time in the game not to play. You're easily forgotten by the media, by fans, um, you know, by by networks, by sponsors. Um, so it's in his interest to get playing at some point so I think just hold um, it's a rare rare asset to be selling this guy at this stage of his career so just let it you know let it play out um, and let the market come to you would be would be what I'd say to Nick and I, I think he thinks that but what do you what do you think John? Yeah and for Casillo I think that's the best option as well wait till yeah. the summertime because right now it's kind of a force and none of these teams that are really in the running for Deshaun Watson if they pull the trigger now does Deshaun make your team different? Carolina, yes. You're still able to rebound. You need a quarterback to fill those holes. Other teams like Miami, and I would say Philadelphia, even with Denver, they need more than that quarterback, and I don't think Deshaun Watson would immediately move the needle for that team for this season. So waiting for the offseason is best for, I think, a serial. And I don't think a lot of these teams should be in the running for trading for Deshaun because what does that mean? Even if he's not able to play, if he's able to play, does the rest of your team – improve drastically for this season the answer for me is no yeah that's right i think yeah we're we're stuck in a we're stuck in a rut and whatever you do right now is not going to help this rut yeah that's it yeah um and watch these games are not going to be necessarily that all that much fun but a team that's kind of and that's the irony of it miami are struggling they're in a hole right now so you go there there's no guarantees that that'll be any better than the four wins you got from houston particularly if they have to give up players because that's going to weaken a team that can't win a game who there looks like the you know the players might be turning against their coach a little um and you've got a, you know and you've got a team who tanked got loads of picks and they haven't done all that much with so you know i think it's a, it's a good case in a number of ways for us to learn from of they got those picks. They've not really hit on many. Um, you know, shipping off Fitzpatrick, Tunsil, and um, you know, and a few others, and, and uh, Tannehill as well. And, uh, and 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 Tannehill's gone on and had the best days of his career. So, you know, it can all change very quickly. Nothing, you know, not you know, nothing always remains equal in this league. I think so. Just let let time let time settle and see where we get to. But is Miami John a chance to to get rack up another win? It doesn't look like. Um, Detroit are going to win many, if any, and they might be our biggest issue for getting the first overall pick. And maybe that's uh, Thibodeau um, from Oregon. But um, do you think Miami's a chance to, to win or at least be a competitive game? I think Miami has a win for Houston written all over it. I think so. I think I think this is a game that how how you can actually play football fast. If you play fast against Miami on offense, I think you can still win. Not still a win. It's not like they're a good team, but you can get a win. And I, I'd, I'd like to see Tyrod Taylor at least play one more game for this team um, to give something to the fans, just better football, because they have locked, lacked good football for a long time. Yeah, no, I think so. And- yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful. We've got three hours to go that we're not seeing Deshaun uh, suit up for Miami on <laughs> on Sunday. I don't think that would 
well, it might be possible with COVID protocols. I'm not quite sure. Uh, it depends on his vaccination status and all that kind of stuff. I think if he how quickly he could be out there, it would seem unfeasible. Um, I don't think they're going to shift to a, at any point. I think that was that was discussed as well. But I think that's and I think as well that all the the the, the rumours and the speculation around Miami have probably hindered their season as well because that'll be getting back to the players in the locker room. Uh, that'll be getting back to guys in Tua and his camp and all that kind of stuff. And it's probably un- unhinged their season because it's pl- just like Deshaun's off-field stuff. It's all played out in a very public and kind of ugly manner. And I don't think it needs to um, do that because if you think of the Kenny Young trade last week to Denver, whether that was the uh, the uh, Miller trade um, to, uh, to, to the Rams last night from Denver, uh, Von Miller, then you know these things were done in the background and then and then announced once completed. So you know there's a common denominator of the the Sean Camp <laughs> not being able to handle his business, being too public about things, and actually making things worse for the for the guy who they're meant to support and help. That's the whole point of having this camp around. But I think one consistent theme that I'll always take away from whatever happens and whatever plays out that Deshaun's been just so badly advised and let down. And they almost borderline extorted by the people around them who are many of his friends and many of his aides. Yeah, I agree. I think also we look at, you know, I think the son does have some type of good heart. Remember, he got his first game check. He gave it to the cafeteria workers or yeah. the uh, Houston Texan workers at the facility. And I think that you made a good point. I'm not going to say it, but so I'm not going to say extorted, but I, I do think he has been led astray a little bit. Deshaun, even if he wanted to be traded, okay, the way about he's went about it isn't the right way. Yeah. It's not the right way. Um, Also, considering that the allegations of his magnitude is very high. So there's no way that, at least I don't think the organization didn't know about it. And eventually, at some point, I think Deshaun knew about it before it became public. At this time, I don't think this is the perfect spot for you to be putting yourself and isolating yourself the way you have. Yeah. Especially considering with everything going on uh, outside of football and in football as well as we look at the Washington scandal. So the situation could have been handled differently. I do think so. And that's why I think his management failed him. They mishandled Deshaun Watson in this situation. Yeah, I think so. And I think as well that, like, the, as you said, and when I, you know, I said extort, I, I mean by the people around them rather than the, But I think it was a mishandling of it. Yeah, as you said, I mean, the, the, the arrogance to ask for a trade when you knew this stuff was coming down the pipe in some shape or form, uh, when you probably knew he was doing these things, um, you know, or you had some inclination of what he was spending his spare time doing. Um, whatever the God's honest truth is, we'll never really know. And that's, you know, that's not for me, you judge or. For that's why there's a sort of you know court system in place to 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 you know level that one out. But I, I hope that I hope when it's all said and done that um, you know, and I think it's gonna it's gonna run on. I think it, I'm I'm sick of talking about it. It's completely killed the season, and I think whether people will admit it or not in the building, that cloud that's hung over this franchise has killed it. Whether it been player acquisition in the off season, whether that been the way they defined the strategy. Um, and look, I don't agree with Casario's strategy. I don't think he's done anything particularly great yet to, to improve this football team. Uh, and, you know, the results have spoken for that. Um, but, you know, what they won't admit is the fact that they, they had this issue to deal with and actually it hindered them from operating like a normal franchise. And they were almost, you know, put into the, the wilderness, if you like, it's kind of similar to the Ingram example you mentioned earlier. And, you know, 
they were the, as uh, Philip Lindsay called it, the scum buckets. <laughs> and it was literally the last port of call where you could maybe get a deal to stay in the league for most guys. Um, you know, a couple of guys, if you know you're going to be a guaranteed starter, you can get some tape and and uh, and potentially get yourself a move out of here. You know, it's like, like Malik Collins signed to one of the earlier signings. He's played better if he can continue his trajectory, keep him. But he might not want to be here. And I think, yeah, they'll not, never admit that. But until you can move on from this sort of mire we've been stuck in and the biggest you know, reason for that is the Deshaun situation, then, you know, we're no better off. <laughs> and that's the that's the worrying bit. And ever the, this whole season, you've been as well hitting fast forward on because <laughs> we've, we've not really achieved much apart from Jonathan Grenard and a couple. But if there was anything, John, that you would do to, to take uh, from the Deshaun angle aside, is there anything you would do to try and move this forward? Uh, or what you think, you know, some positive next steps for this team is to try and get back to competitiveness? Revamp your your culture, which is something that they've been trying to do. I only think there's two cultures you can have in the NFL and sports in general, winning and losing, so you got to win. Winning yeah. cures all, yeah. you know, and the way to get to that is, number one, this draft. This draft is very important for Nick Asirio because you'll be picking for the, in, the, in the first round of the draft for the first time as a team since Titus Howard, top five for the first time since Jadavion Clowney. So they have to scout very well. That's number one. And also the players that you've evaluated throughout this year that you believe you can bring back and even get them to a higher level, make sure you lock them in. Everybody else, we had a, we had a great run with you. Maybe not a great run, but thank you for being <laughs> around. But it's time to move forward. And also there has to be some trust between this head coach and the players. I don't think it's there anymore. I think that his inexperience has shown, uh, shown way too many times which is okay, but some of the things that he's shown and experience in as a head coach is unacceptable. And we need a, a clear-cut face of who's making the calls. Who's who's putting the strings behind the scenes? Is it really David Cully, uh, no more so than Nick Casario, who really wants to go through his evaluation? Remember, he was a scout at first. So he still wants to evaluate this team from a general manager standpoint by seeing players play on the field. I think that's why we were seeing the mix-up of Lonnie Johnson and other safeties back there because maybe he needs to get another opportunity before we say, no, we need to address this position higher in the draft. But I think that's it. This draft is going to be key for this team, which is why they're looking for what they're looking for back. And I don't blame them. I don't at all. Casario has to make a step moving forward. And it starts with the 22 draft. Yeah, I think so. And I would... I'd implore them to trade back as many times as, you know, at least once. If you've got one pick, you know, in the top five or whatever, if there's not a guy that you're sold upon, I think this team could benefit from, you know, two players. or And you saw the Colts do that, and they're, you know, and that was their one good draft um, under Chris Ballard. But what they did was they traded out at the back end of the, the first round um, and, got, uh, in, uh, and, and got some picks um, at the top of the second round. So... But we'll see. Hopefully, we'll we'll move out of this, um, John, with not too much not too much uh, to talk about that we've missed happening for the dread deadline. But thank you very much for your time, John. I uh, appreciate it uh, for joining me. Uh, let's keep in touch. Let's do it again sometime. Always enjoy talking Texans and all the good people. Any any last words before we head out of here? I mean, just check us out on YouTube and locked on Texans on YouTube. And I thoroughly appreciate the invite. And now, what I like to always do: you bring me your show. Coming to your house, I want you to come to our house. So we have to have you on Locked On Texas soon, man, so we can talk about the Texas from the UK perspective, right? That's going to be fun. Right? We got to, we got to, 
We got the Texan media fans, podcasts, local media, and the national media. We all got to come together to enjoy this crazy ride. That's it. That's it. Well, anytime, anytime. I've had both you and Corey on now, so uh, happy to repay the favour anytime you want. So, um, John, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thanks again for everyone who listening this week. Uh, we'll be back again next week, Top Miami, and any further trades that might may leak out between now and the deadline. But uh, if you haven't already, check out stuff at podcasttexans.com. Give us a share, like, subscribe on YouTube if you're watching this. But thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you again next week. Bye.